Morning, everyone. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for the words uh, of Exodus 5. Let my people go. We thank you for the freedom that we read in this story, the freedom of the gospel, and we pray that we would all experience and know practically the freedom in Christ that is offered to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Folks, I wonder what you would think about the idea of uh, me writing uh, hymns to, uh, for each sermon that I preach. Would you like that? Do you fancy? That sounds like a bad idea, doesn't it? Uh, I don't know if you realize this, but on the 1st of January uh, this year, I wasn't in, in, in Dollingstown that day um, because it was off on holidays, but I don't know, did, was there any acknowledgement that it was the 250th anniversary of a song? Anyone know what the song is? Okay. Sorry? Amazing Grace. Yeah, Amazing Grace. And John Newton, who was trying to uh, articulate something from First Chronicles 17, I think it was, wrote a song. And the song that he shared with his congregation on New Year's Day 250 years ago was Amazing Grace. Uh, and the, the tune has been lost somewhere along the line. I mean, it actually has been lost. I don't mean people have butchered it or anything like that. Uh, but the tune's been lost. But really, apart from the last verse, okay, the, those are the exact same words. What an incredible song. Um, and I, I know probably most of us here will know that John Newton became an Anglican cleric. But he, he started out as a captain of a slave ship. You know, and became a person who was converted not only to Christ, but converted in his thinking away from the whole practice of slavery and became one of the people who uh, was part of abolishing slavery with, uh, with Wilberforce and all of that. So, uh, wonderful story. And, if, you know, that was written 250 years ago. But then more recently, a couple of pastors, uh, a guy called... Uh, Louis Giglio, an American, and also a musician called Chris Tomlin, wrote a little extra uh, bridge in, didn't they? Uh, so we sing Amazing Grace, and then it says, My chains are gone, I've been set free. You know this song, don't you? My God, my Savior has rescued me. They added that in, and I think it's a, a fantastic addition to that song. And um, Maybe we'll sing it at the end together or something. Don't worry, worship band. It'll be all right. Um, but, but, you know, an amazing thing, isn't it? 250 years ago since that great song of liberation. And it was only this morning, uh, right bef- as I was drinking my coffee, right before I, I left to come here, that I realized that today is the birthday of somebody very important. Does anybody know who that is? Nobody in this church, by the way, okay? Of Martin Luther King Jr. Okay, it's his birthday. The great liberator was born uh, on this day, I think 94 years ago. Uh, Freedom is a really important theme, and if we move to the next uh, slide, uh, you'll see that freedom is the great theme of the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus is kind of like a, a mini story that, that is really the whole story of the Bible. This uh, call from Moses to Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 5 of let my people go is actually the call of God right from the Garden of Eden right from the moment that they become enslaved in their sin. The project and the plan is that God's people would be let go 
One of my favorite verses in the whole of the scriptures is from Psalm 18. He rescued me because he delighted in me. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And here's the key point that I want all of us to know today. That God wants his people to be free. God wants his people to be free. And Martin Luther King talked about, I have a dream of freedom. And really the dream is fulfilled in Christ. And it will be ultimately fulfilled when Christ comes again. His cross, his blood was the blood of freedom. And like, there's honestly about a hundred verses I could share with you right now. But John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Okay, Psalm 118, verse 5. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Jesus said, and you will know the truth. This is John 8. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Galatians 5. When Paul looks at a church and he, he, he sees that they're losing their freedom in Galatia. And he's thinking about, you know, Jesus died for their freedom. He says this, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The call of Moses in Exodus 5 is, let my people go. And it's the call of God it's the purpose of the cross. It's what the Christian life is all about. It's a life of freedom. Are we enjoying that freedom? These are the words that Moses speaks to Pharaoh. What a moment uh, for Moses. This is what he was afraid of. This is why Emma shared with us about all these excuses that he made at the burning bush because he was going to have to go and see the most important person in the ancient world. He was going to have to go and stand before the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. And he was going to have to tell Pharaoh something that Pharaoh didn't want to hear. This is what God says, let my people go. Let my people go. Now, I'm sure we've seen those verses, uh, those words. We have uh, maybe watched the movie, The Prince of Egypt, or something like that. We've thought, let my people go, and we haven't thought too deeply about them. But just picture the scene. We don't know whether there were loads of other people in the throne room at the time, or whether it was just Moses, Aaron, and the Pharaoh. But Moses goes and he says, let my people go. Have you ever looked at that and thought, who's the my? Okay, who's the my? Who's speaking in this moment? Let my people go. Because Moses, at a particular point of his life, remember, he was brought up in the Pharaoh's palace as a prince of Egypt. And then he decided that the Egyptians are not my people. The Israelites are. And he chose sides. And he joined the people of God. And now he's standing before Pharaoh. And he's saying, let my people go. They're Moses' people. But that's not the my here, is it? Because it says here that Moses goes before Pharaoh and he says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go. So whose people are they? They're God's people. They're God's people. My people. God wants his people to be free. 
He talks about Israel as his firstborn. He loves his people. And Psalm 18, why does he want to rescue us? Because he delights in us. He loves his people. He's chosen his people. He's going to ultimately go to the cross for his people. And that's why he says, let my people go. Because we are his people. Israel, we're his people. His people. And imagine you say that to Pharaoh. What does Pharaoh say back to him? It doesn't say it in this passage, but you know, in, in a logical sense, what does Pharaoh say back to him? He, say, he says, they're my people. Because Pharaoh uses them as slaves. They're his possession. And he's using them as objects to build his treasure cities. So here we see a moment where it's all rubbing up against each other, where God is saying, they're my people. And Pharaoh is saying, no, they're not. They're my people. And you know, folks, this is a cosmic reality, even in our lives. Okay? It's a cosmic reality, even in our lives. That actually, uh, at every moment... Uh, C.S. Lewis says that every square inch of the cosmos is being claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Every square inch of the cosmos, C.S. Lewis says, is being claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. That is what goes on in our world. And you know, if we had eyes to see, we would see in the spiritual realms that there's uh, fights between angels and demons for the hearts and minds of people. As God says, they're mine, and as Satan says, no, they're mine. Jesus' ministry was a ministry of releasing people from under the power of the evil one. That's what the Bible says. There's a fight going on for hearts and minds. There's a fight going on for your heart and my heart and the hearts of people that haven't yet chosen to follow Jesus. That is what is going on. There's a fight. I mean, you know, we see this in an incredible little insight in the story of Job, don't we? Where in the throne room of God, God is talking about his servant Job. Have you seen my servant Job? What does Satan say, the deceiver? He says, he only worships you because you give him a cushy life. Take it all away and it'll soon be exposed that he's not your child at all. That's what the book of Job's about. And that is the cosmic reality that we do not see. That God says, you're mine. And Satan wants to make you his. And when you try and do the work of evangelism, when you try and share with your friends and your family about Jesus and about the freedom in Jesus, that is the battlefield that you're entering onto. The claim of God and the counterclaim of Satan. And that's what we see here in the throne room of Egypt. Here's what Pharaoh says in response. So Moses has just said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh says this, if we move to the next slide. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey? 
Who is the Lord that I should obey? Why is Pharaoh saying this? Well, Pharaoh is saying this because there are no atheists in the ancient world. I'm pretty sure, maybe somebody will disagree with me and prove me wrong here, but I'm pretty sure that there's nowhere in the whole Bible that there is an atheist. Okay? It's a very kind of modern concept, really, the belief that there is no God. But, but right the way through the Bible, there, there are all manner of beliefs in all manner of gods. And Egypt, as we'll see a little bit later, especially when we see the ten plagues, we'll see that there are gods behind everything. You know, there's the sun god, the moon god, the, there's gods in the Nile, the crocodiles of God, you know, all sorts of gods everywhere. And actually, Pharaoh himself and his son were considered gods in Egypt. I mean, listen to this. This is actually written on an ancient Egyptian temple. And it was written by, by a, a pharaoh. I am that which was and is and shall be. No man has lifted my veil. Listen to those words. But written by a pharaoh. I am that which was and is and shall be. How much does that sound like the disclosure of God's name at the, at the burning bush? The Pharaoh believed he was the great I am. And his son was divine as well. What a thing for, for actually uh, Moses to come into this place and say, the Lord says, let the people go. And he's like, who's God? I'm God. Son's God. Okay, the, there's the God in the Nile. There's a God up in the moon. There's loads of gods. I don't know your God and I'm not going to let your people go. There are lots and lots and lots of gods in Egypt. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, Paul goes and visits Athens in Acts 17. He walks around Athens and it says he was greatly disturbed because there were many idols. So there were, there were many gods in Egypt, small g, but there were also many gods in Athens in the New Testament. And here's what I would imagine we have pretty much got many gods in our culture as well, haven't we? What is a small g God? What is an idol? An idol is something that takes the place of God. An idol is something that becomes an all-consuming passion for us and actually sits above God in the decision-making process. That is what an idol is. And there are many gods in our society, many idols in our society. And the problem is, as again C.S. Lewis says, the problem with idols are they eventually break the hearts of their worshippers. They enslave. And gods aren't just the addictive gods of drugs and alcohol and pornography and all these other things that we think about when we think about uh, addictions and controlling things. But their materialism and individualism and all of the other isms that exist in our society, things that stop us from being truly free. And yet, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Pharaoh says, I'm not letting, I'm not letting my people go. They're mine. They're my slaves. And I will not release them because I do not know this God. And if we move to the next slide, thank you. He then says, make the work harder for the people 
So they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. What does Pharaoh want to do with these people that are starting to dream about freedom? We talked about Martin Luther King's dream. And these Israelites are now saying, we have had a visitation from God which has caused us to dream of our freedom. What does Pharaoh want to do with these dreamers? He wants to work them harder so they don't have time to dream. He wants to work them harder so they don't have time to dream. I think probably in our society, people are so busy and so flat out and so overstimulated that we don't have time to dream. Archbishop uh, Venables, who we had here speaking from South America, he, he says that when he opens his Bible, all the hordes of hell come up against him. Anybody find that when they try to read the Bible, it sort of becomes the most difficult book in the world to read? Richard Foster says that when he tries to pray, monkeys start jumping around his head, okay? Has anyone here ever experienced the monkeys, the presence of the monkeys, okay? The hordes of heaven, or the hordes of hell, I should say, when we try to read the Bible, and the monkeys when we try to pray. Pharaoh, he says, just work them harder, they'll stop dreaming. Just work them harder, they'll stop dreaming. They'll pay no attention to lies. You see, it's not a lie, is it? This dream of freedom. But he thinks it's a lie, and he wants them to think it's a lie. Let's work them hard. Somebody once said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. I wonder who here feels really busy, feels too busy to dream. You know, one of the, the, the things that, that Moses first asked of Pharaoh is, let, the, let, let my people go so that they can worship me in the wilderness. Isn't it tragic? And I mean, even post-COVID, I, I come up alongside a lot of people who say, do you know, I'd love to go to church, but I'm just too busy. I'd love to go to church, but I've just, I've just too much going on. Sundays have just become so busy. It's the same old tactic, isn't it? Make them work harder so they don't have time to dream. Make them work harder so they don't have time to worship. Make them work harder so they don't have time to pray. Do you have time to worship your God? That's what Pharaoh tries to put a stop to. If we move to the next slide. And he then not only tells them to work harder, he makes their job completely impossible. That same day, verse 6, the Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them, and you shall no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. They say, Pharaoh says, make bricks without straw. They've actually 
looked in Egypt, and there are three categories of bricks. You see, they, they didn't bake the bricks in Egypt. What they did was they used uh, clay and straw, and when the straw uh, began to break down the acidic uh, stuff that was re- the acid that was released, caused the bricks to go hard in the sun. So that's how they, they made bricks. And they've actually looked in Egypt and they've found three categories. They've found uh, bricks that have chopped straw in them. That must have been when Pharaoh was delivering it in carts okay, for them to enable them to make the bricks. Then they have found uh, bricks that have kind of stubble and broken roots and things in them, really poor bricks. And then they've found some bricks with no straw in them at all. They've found all three. And Pharaoh makes it so impossible for them to do this task. You know, I heard somebody this week, I was, I was conducting some interviews in church house, and uh, a, a minister um, who was just in the room with me talked, he talked about a definition of stress, and he said, you know, stress is being asked to do something you don't have the resources to do. Been asked to do something you don't have the resources to do. Can you imagine these Israelites crying out to God as they make these bricks with straw and asking God to deliver them and help them and do something for them as they make these bricks with straw? And then Moses goes and speaks to the Pharaoh and he takes the straw away. They have to get their own straw but still hit those quotas. Can you imagine the stress? Pharaoh is, is a man who'll just kill you as soon as look at you. Whip the taskmasters because they're not hitting the quotas. Could you imagine how difficult that actually is? Maybe some of us know what that is. Maybe we just feel that life is really difficult and we don't have the resources for it. That we're being asked to do things in life that we just cannot do. That we're missing the quotas. You know, life was hard. But it's got even harder now, hasn't it? I wonder, has anybody here experienced this? Where they've actually been praying about something and it's getting even more difficult. I wonder if anyone ever experienced that. Maybe they have decided. I remember um, when I was in Lisbon, we had an Alpha course and I'd been praying about somebody to come to the to this particular Alpha course and... Um, you know, they, they agreed to come. And actually, their life started getting more and more difficult. Every week, something was going wrong all the time, you know. The hordes of hell coming up against them. Life getting more difficult. You know, the problem is, sometimes we make a mistake in church and we say, come to Jesus and life will get better. Okay, that's called the prosperity gospel. Come to Jesus and life will get better. Here, you know what? Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes life gets even more difficult. And that's the story here. Actually, there's a, a tidal wave of difficulty comes up against them. They, they have cried out to God in their suffering, and their suffering has actually got worse. What do you think about that? A commentator called Trapp says, things commonly go backwards in the kingdom before they come forwards. The corn has to grow downwards before it grows upwards. So many people say, I tried Christianity 
I tried to follow Jesus. I tried to do the church thing. But life got harder. And they view that as I was sold a pop, you know. But that famous quote from G.K. Chesterton, the Christian life has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. The Christian life is a difficult life. And look at this. If we move to the next slide, sorry. This is last week, uh, what Emma was speaking to us about. When Moses and Aaron share with the people about deliverance, about the fact that God has visited Moses in a burning bush and he's going to set his people free, it says this, Exodus 4, and they believed. And when they had heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. They were delighted to hear about deliverance. Absolutely delighted to hear about deliverance. But then look what happens. Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. Life gets worse. And if we read the next slide. They come out and they see Aaron and Moses standing there. And they say these Israelites to Aaron and Moses. May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. What they're saying is, Moses, thanks a lot. Thanks a bunch. Okay, We were struggling and now you've got involved and you've made us stink to Pharaoh. And he's going to kill us. I wonder when life gets hard for you as a Christian, do you think, why did I ever bother? And then we become enslaved again at looking back. Or do you look at it and do you say, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to stop. Because there's no freedom without a battle. There's no release without resistance. If we move to the next slide, I love this little quote. Sorry, the next slide, sorry about that. Um, There's no testimony without a test. And I suppose the question that I have for all of us is this. The freedom which has been bought for us on the cross, we need to fully step into it. We need to fully step into it. I'm sure when Martin Luther King began his campaign, I'm sure things got worse before they got better. I'm sure when the, uh, well, we know from history that when they the, tried to start abolishing uh, slavery, there was an incredible reaction against. And as we begin to step in to the freedom of Jesus Christ, of course the hordes of hell will come against us. But there can be no uh, freedom without battle. There can be no release without resistance. And there can be no testimony without testing. And the question I have for us is, in 2023, how desperate are we to enter into that freedom? How desperate are we to embrace all of God's purposes for us?
How much do we want it? It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened by a yoke of slavery. I might have told you this story before. Sorry if we moved back the slide. But I might have told you this story before, but there's a, a really, cla- I love it, a story about a guy called Henley who was a test pilot. Have I told you this before? And uh, he, he's, he's just going up, goes back a wee while. It's not a modern plane or anything like that, but he, he, he goes up and he's, he's flying high and he looks to his right-hand side and there's a rat chewing in the fuel line. And the people down on uh, control, they say, Henley, land the plane, land the plane, land the plane. And Henley looks and he thinks, I'm not going to be able to land this plane. Uh, by the time I get down, this, this rat will have got through this, this fuel line. So you know what he does? He flies upward. And do you know what happens? The rat dies of no oxygen. <laughs> he flies up and up and up. And in the Christian life, there'll come a moment where you think, this is too hard. You know, in the Christian life, you'll, you'll hear about evangelism and you'll, you'll just be on the edge of speaking to somebody and, and the fear will start to come in and you'll think, no, no, and you'll step back. Or, or you'll, you'll, you'll decide that you're going to go on a, on a prayer journey and the monkeys will start to jump and you'll pull back. Or you'll try and read the Bible and you'll think, oh, I just can't understand this. And you'll put it down and you'll pick up Harry Potter or something. And here's the thing. You know what we need to do? Just keep going higher. Because there's no freedom, you know, without struggle. There's no release without resistance. There's no testimony without test. Will we go for it? Or will we stand on the edges of it? Will we feel the fear And do it anyway. We'll be pushed through. Because nothing can ever be gained in the kingdom. Without forceful people forcing and advancing. Let's stand together. Folks. um, it's, uh, It's such an important image isn't it? That the devil wants, and Pharaoh is a kind of typology of the devil. Like, we love Egyptians now. Please don't hear that wrong, uh, whatever. But the, the typology in the Bible of Egypt as the place of slavery and the devil uh, as the Pharaoh is so very important. And the Pharaoh so does not want you to be free. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Do we believe that the Holy Spirit is here with us today? Oh, dear. <laughs> you're nodding and nodding's good we'll start with nodding okay nodding okay do we believe i need to go to the pentecostal for this one okay uh do we believe the holy spirit's here yes. okay that's good that's good so there's freedom here isn't that wonderful there's freedom and the devil so does not want us to have that freedom he doesn't want us to have that freedom to worship We don't have to travel three days into the wilderness for this. We can have it right now to worship. And I'd so love there to be a freedom, a greater freedom in this church to worship. Who would just love to be freer to worship here? 
to just go for it in every way. The Lord's enthroned on the praises of his people, is what the psalmist says, isn't it? Let's just, uh, we'll pull up the words to Amazing Grace, can we please? This is the 2006 updated version, although we've lost John Newton's uh, old chain, of course, haven't we? Let's just, uh, let's just, uh, hopefully we, we can close our eyes because we know these words. Um, and I, I, it's very dangerous me picking the key, but we'll try it, okay? I don't want to put Katie on the spot. Um, but let's sing. Amazing grace, your grace release your grace to this church Lord let us no longer be subject to a yoke of slavery let us no longer be uh, self conscious about those who stand around us let us be totally free to worship you in spirit and in truth let us be totally free to worship you with abandon let us be totally free to worship you as has been paid for on Calvary's cross. Lord, we say in this church today, let my people go. Let us step into all the freedom to pray. Let us step into all the freedom to read the word. Let us step into freedom to share the gospel with others. Come Holy Spirit and set your people free. Lord, let 2023 be a year of being free. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done. And we worship you now because you are worthy.